You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, this parable, this kingdom parable that Jesus has for us this morning is back and forth like a roller coaster. It's a wedding and it's a war. There's a dinner and then there's a casting into darkness. It's it's back and forth between joy and sorrow. Uh, and it's given to us by the Holy Spirit that we all would at last be found in the wedding feast so that all of us would at last be in that place of joy and light and peace feasting with the King and His Son. Remember that the, that the parables of Jesus matter so much because they are about you. And about, and about how it is with you now and how it will be in the future. So let's take a look at this text. You have it printed there in the bulletin, Matthew 22. Your pew Bibles are handy. Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is always teaching about. And this kingdom is the church. It's the place where the Lord is doing stuff on the earth. And because it's the Lord who's at work and not us, things always in the kingdom of heaven, that is in the church, in these parables, things always go a little bit different than we expect them to. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants out to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they, those who were invited, wouldn't come. The theme of the wedding feast runs throughout the Scriptures. In fact, we're right on the edge of it in, in our study of Revelation, chapter 19, and again in chapter 20. That the, uh, the, that the Lord would gather together His people at a, in a time of great joy and wonder and feasting and delight. This is, this is really the joy of salvation, the wedding feast is. And the king in the text is God the Father. The Son, for whom the wedding is, feast is had, is Jesus, our Lord. And the wedding feast is nothing other than the Lord's salvation. Now, Jesus says that the first round of invited guests reject his call, reject his invitation. And this is all those who would reject the Lord's mercy. But especially in the context in which Jesus is telling this parable, the first round of invited guests would be the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Jewish leaders who reject Jesus as the Messiah. Instead of seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises, the Jewish leaders see Jesus as an obstacle to their own little kingdom. Instead of seeing Jesus as a friend, they see Him as an enemy. They refuse to come to the feast. Rather than believe, and this is really quite stunning, rather than believe the promises of Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders are trying to silence the promises of Jesus. After all, Jesus is preaching a righteousness that comes through mercy and not through effort. Jesus is teaching that salvation is a matter of faith in Him and not of works, not of obedience. And the Pharisees have to rail against this. It goes against their whole system. 
Now, we notice that, the, that these initial guests are not just invited once, but they're invited twice. The parable continues in that the king sends a second time, sends his servants out, in fact, new sets of servants, to try to fill the hall with these invited guests. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. These servants that the kings send out, that the king sends out, are the prophets, the last of them being John the Baptist. But the guests do not listen to them. They do not heed the call. They ignore the invitation. And worse, and this is where this parable takes a very uh, nasty turn. In fact, you're at home and you're reading through this text and you're just kind of plugging along and this is a normal parable and all of a sudden you get to this verse and you say, wait, did I just read that? I mean, it was strange, you admit, it was strange that all these people are invited to a wedding feast and they're not coming. People love a feast. People love to go to a party. These invited guests, though, preferred to stay home and to work, one to his farm, another to his business, rather than go to the feast. Now, this is the strange and rather wicked inclination of our own sinful flesh, that we prefer works to mercy, that we prefer law to gospel, that we prefer to be righteous by our own doing rather than by the Lord's declaration. And it's seen here in that they don't go to the feast, they stay home and do their work. But look, the people who are invited to the feast don't just ignore the prophets who come to call them, the servants that come to call them. They took a hold of them and they beat them to a pulp and they killed them. Now sit on that for a bit. I mean, imagine yourself here. Imagine some famous and powerful person invited you to the wedding feast of their child. And when the courier came to you with the invitation written in golden ink to invite you to this most marvelous of feasts, one of the most wonderful opportunities of your whole life, you grabbed a hold of this courier's shirt and you just started pounding him in the face ah, till his teeth were out and kicking him in the shins and now blood is falling all over and you grab your friends and you're on top of them and you're, and you're, and you, and you are wailing on him until he's left there dead, limp, lying in a pile of his own blood. Now what in the world would be that, would, would cause such insanity? It makes absolutely no sense. It's horrendous. But that's exactly what happened. They paid no attention to the servants, went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. There is, dear saints, an insanity in the way that the world rejects the gospel. There's a violence, unrestrained. And this stands behind the murder of all of the prophets throughout all the Old Testament. It stood behind the murder of Jesus. And it, st- and it stands behind the persecution of the church, the violence that the church faces from the world. Because the devil rages against the gospel and he brings the unbeliever into that rage. Now, 
we know suddenly that this parable is going to be a bit more than about a wedding feast. I mean, after all, what do you expect when the king gets word that the servants that he sent to invite his friends to the feast of his son killed his own servants? The king is also enraged. The text continues. The king was angry. And he sent his troops. And he destroyed those murderers. And burned their city. You will, I suspect, get, uh, all of us, get two types of visits from God. You get the visit from his servant calling you to the feast. Or you get a visit from his troops which kill and murder and burn. This parable really, uh, and this text explicitly, is a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, which would happen 34 years later, 34 years after Jesus was teaching this parable, when the armies of Rome gathered around and put a siege to the city and destroyed it August 10th in the year 70 A.D. and the temple was torn down and and the Jewish people in Jerusalem, almost all of them were destroyed. The Christians, for the most part, avoided this tragedy because they heeded these warnings of Jesus and other warnings like this, and they fled the city of Jerusalem and they were safe. But the point that Jesus is making, that he's going to drive home again in this parable, is that the Lord's wrath ends up on the people who reject his kindness and his mercy. But we'll see it uh, even more explicitly. Let's keep moving. The king has the feast ready, but now there's no one to come because they've all been killed. <laughs> so the king says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall is filled with guests at last. And this is more like it. This is what the king was after, a feast full of guests. This, though, is not a room filled with famous, rich, wealthy, well-to-do, well-dressed people. In fact, this wedding feast is a bit of a motley crew. Jesus even tells us in the text that there were the good and the bad in the feast. But they are in the feast. Because to be part of this feast, you do not have to be good. You just have to be invited. You just have to be on the guest list. You just have to be forgiven. This, dear saints, is the Lord's church, a motley crew of forgiven sinners. This is you. And it is where you are this morning, pulled by the Holy Spirit Himself to the feast of the King's sons. To the feast of the King's son, I should say. These people, pulled off the street from their businesses, were not ready for a wedding. But this king would make them ready. 
This king would provide a washing for their feet and for their hands. He would provide a wedding garment for them to wear, a a garment that would cover all of their torn and stained clothes. Just as you are washed, just as you are covered in the righteousness of Christ, just as His blood forgives all of your sins. And they are there in the feast, enjoying the abundance of the King. Now I, for one, wouldn't mind if the parable ended there. But it doesn't. Jesus keeps going. Perhaps He keeps going to the point. Because He has a warning for those of us who are in the feasting hall. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And this man was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing your teeth. For few, says Je- for, sorry, for many, says Jesus, are called, but few are chosen. There's a man found in the feast without the proper dress. That dress is the righteousness of Christ. That wedding garment is the forgiveness of our sins. That clothing is the gospel. As we sing in the hymn, which is really quite stunning, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. The wedding garment was provided by the king for all those people who came. There would have been attendants at the door handing this out. But this man refused. Refused to put on the wedding garment or at least refused to keep it on just as we are always tempted to trust not in the righteousness of Christ but in our own righteousness. And Jesus tells us this great danger. For salvation is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. It is His name, His death, His resurrection, His blood, His promise, His mercy. It is Jesus alone that makes you fit and worthy for eternal life. If we are found, dear saints, on the last day dressed in the tattered rags of our own goodness, then we, like this man, will be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If we, dear saints, were to trust in our own works or our own efforts or our own striving, if we trust in ourselves and our own name, then we too are found in the place of torment. But with Jesus, with His gift of baptism, with His gift of His very own body and blood, with His absolution and forgiveness, we are found worthy. Worthy for the wedding feast of the King's Son. Worthy for a life that has no end. We, in fact, are made worthy 
of the Father's smile and of His words, Well done, good and faithful servants. Dear saints, it is by Jesus and by His kindness, by His death and His resurrection and His blood, that you have a seat in this wedding feast. And this is our hope. And this is our confidence. And this is our peace. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.